Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini. Welcome to Paradigm Shift. My name is Christina Martini, and I am your host as we explore the intersection of business and law. In our last episode, we began taking a look at the intersection of emotional intelligence and client service and EI's impact on our effectiveness in the context of attorney-client relationships. Today, we will continue examining emotional intelligence and client service, and we will talk about various tips for maximizing effectiveness with clients from both the outside counsel and in-house counsel perspectives. It is an honor to welcome David Sussler back to the show. David is an attorney whose current role is as Associate General Counsel at National Material LP. David has a valuable and insightful perspective on EI in this context as an in-house attorney who works both with internal clients within his organization as well as with outside counsel and vendors who are service providers to him and his company. During his 30-year career, David has worked both as outside counsel in a law firm as well as in-house for various companies, and he has an interesting and valuable perspective on what it means to be an effective legal partner and trusted advisor. David has frequently written and spoken on the topic of emotional intelligence over the past 10 years, and he and I are co-columnists of the Chicago Lawyer column Inside Out, which compares and contrasts private practice and in-house counsel perspectives on current issues and trends impacting both the legal and business landscapes. In addition to being my partner in crime on the writing front for nearly eight years, David also happens to be my husband. Hi, David. Thanks for joining us again, and it's a pleasure to have you back. Good to be back. So to kick things off, let's take a quick look back at what we talked about in our last episode. We discussed how exceptional client service is a fundamental component of successful business. This is particularly true in highly competitive industries such as the law, where the quality of client service is often the only meaningful way to differentiate law firms and legal departments. There are many facets to effective client service, the most basic of which is being a technically excellent lawyer in a particular practice area. However, there are numerous other skills which are equally as important as substantive legal skills. Emotional intelligence is a key part of maximizing a client's overall satisfaction during its representation by counsel. So let's take a look at how we can do a better job of providing emotionally intelligent client service. David and I have a few tips we would like to discuss, which will help maximize your effectiveness with clients, thereby deepening your relationships with them and facilitating your development of new client relationships. So the first tip is honor your word. First and foremost, clients will evaluate you and your services based on what you actually do on their behalf, not on what you intend to do or say you will do. Ultimately, clients will judge you based on how well your actions align with the expectations you have created in their minds, especially when their management is holding them accountable for your performance. There is nothing worse than over-promising and under-delivering. So David, what are your thoughts on this tip? So the first thing that comes to mind is uh, something that I repeat often. When I interviewed for my current position over 11 years ago with the CEO slash owner of my company, I asked him to tell me about the company and his expectations. 
He said, well, we're a thin, flat company. If you make a mistake, just own it and fix it. But don't try to hide because that's when you get in trouble. Interesting. And I think that's part and parcel of honoring your word, right? So in the context of being a lawyer, uh, and this is true for in-house and outside counsel, uh, what I always say is my clients, who in my case are my business colleagues, they have to know me, they have to like me, and they have to trust me, or they won't use me. Even right. if the rules say send this to legal, they won't if they don't know me, like me, or trust me. And again, it's the same for outside counsel and their clients and prospective clients, right? And an important aspect of trust is integrity, which I define as being your word, and this is of utmost importance. If you promise it, you must deliver it. If something changes between the time you promised and the time you're supposed to deliver it, tell your client so your expectations can remain aligned. Uh, but don't, don't create surprises. Clients don't like surprises. And over-promising and under-delivering really is a death knell to an attorney-client relationship. Well, and you know, one thing I'd like to add to just um, amplify something you said, I think you raised some very good points. One of the things is that sometimes the timing of a, of delivering the project completed to the client will change. Sometimes things do come up, but it's important, even though it may scare you or make you uncomfortable, you are better off communicating to the client that the timing has changed and explaining what happened rather than pretending like the deadline that they set didn't exist and just, you know, continuing on your merry way and delivering it when you happen to deliver it and it's not on time. Right. And, you know, for me personally, uh, and I often will remind my outside counsel, with me, they have somewhat of a unique client relationship, especially in litigation matters, because I used to be a trial lawyer. But uh, you know, I always try to remember the fact that I was outside counsel. Right. Even though I've been in-house longer, I try to remember that so that when you're dealing with me, I'm like, look, I'm a lawyer. I understand things go wrong. Right. You know, timelines go awry for various different reasons. Sometimes they're external reasons. Sometimes they're internal reasons. Uh, but again, communication is key, which is also honoring your word. Right. All very good points. So our second tip is being responsive. Clients appreciate and expect their attorneys to be responsive, even during evenings, weekends, and vacations, and while traveling. They also expect timely follow-up once their immediate needs have been addressed. Business happens 24-7, 365 days a year, and attorneys need to be just as responsive as their clients are required to be. You can be a terrific lawyer, but if you are not there when your clients need you, you may as well be just mediocre. So, David, what do you think about this one? You know, again, it's another thing that's of critical importance. My clients need me when they need me. Your clients need you when they need you, right? So, for example, I work with many of our salespeople who are constantly on the road. That means they're either going to call me early in the morning or they're going to email me after 9 o'clock at night. They're generally very respectful of my time, so I know if they email me that late or if they call me that early, then it's important, so I answer them. Uh, 
another element of being responsive is it conveys to my client that I think they are important and I'm on their team. It's another element of building trust, which again is important for both inside and, and outside counsel. Great. So the third tip is listen to your clients and hear what they are saying. Sounds pretty simple, but sometimes this can get actually pretty challenging. Listening is a critical skill, particularly when getting assignments and receiving feedback from clients. You need to be able to hear and process what they are saying, recalibrate your approach to the extent necessary, and go back to your client promptly to communicate solutions. Even in challenging situations, you can strengthen your relationship if you are thoughtful and strategic in how you react and communicate with your clients. So David, what do you think about this one? Yeah, listening is important and unfortunately it's often difficult for lawyers. Listening gives you the substantive issue, but it also tells you what the client is really asking for. You know, something we addressed in in our last session, you know, is the client looking for help with a substantive problem with a customer, for example, or are they merely seeking moral support in dealing with a personal issue? As lawyers, we tend to like to talk and dole out advice, but sometimes just listening to your client goes much farther than any words you might speak. I completely agree with that. And I think one of the things to think about in the context of this tip also is that you need to also, in what is not being said, hear what is being said. Yeah. Um, because especially with um, situations where there's a lot of nuance or where um, there's a lot of politics involved, there's some sensitivities, sometimes there's a lot that isn't said. And what is not being said, there's actually a lot of information being conveyed. Right. And and let me add, this is, you know, in, in today's world where so much of our communication is by telephone and email, I think it's important to at least every once in a while get together face to face because, you know, a lot of listening occurs in paying attention to body language and you know, facial expressions and, and things like that. And if if you do that once in a while, you make, you have that face to face meeting your ability to listen and and hear what's unsaid over the phone and in email is strengthened. Right. Absolutely. So the next tip is go the extra mile. You must be generous with your time and genuine in your willingness to help your clients, even if you do not reap immediate rewards. Successful business is all about relationships which are cultivated and deepened over time and through connecting with others in a meaningful way. So, David, what do you think about going the extra mile? Well, I think this is very true. You've got to do it. You know, we tend to do business, especially over the long haul, with people that we like and people we trust. You know, again, there's there are many lawyers that I can call on for technical expertise, but if I've developed a personal relationship with you, I'm going to think of you and call you first. Right. In some ways, it's that simple. You know, it doesn't require a social friendship necessarily, but it does require developing a level of trust and confidence in each other as people, not merely as technicians. Uh, you know, an example I can think of is one of the best compliments that I get is when I hear from my business clients that they appreciate what I do for them. That's positive feedback that they know I'll go the extra mile for them. So they keep coming back to me 
and they trust me because, again, they know I'm working for their success and for the company's success. That's great. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've noticed just from my perspective that going the extra mile, clients do appreciate it. I think that many of them have a very um, sound awareness of when you are going the extra mile and they really appreciate it. And in my experience, whether it's in the short term or in the long term, they definitely try to find ways to show their appreciation. So the next tip is build a strong team. You can't do it all alone. You need to hire and mentor your team to understand, appreciate, and develop strong client service. You are only as good as your team, and teams are more effective when everyone cooperates, participates, collaborates, and brings others along. So, David, what are your thoughts on building a strong team? I bet your perspective from from in-house is interesting on this one. You know, again, I agree. You do need to build a strong team. From my perspective as an in-house lawyer, I know a lot about our business, right? But not to the extent of my business colleagues, right? I don't. I know how to process steel, but I don't know how to operate the machine. I understand what our customers do and that we sell them steel, but I don't know all the technical ins and outs. So I have to have my business colleagues as part of my team. They're the ones who have the depth of knowledge. I have the legal knowledge. And together, we successfully merge the two to achieve our desired outcome. And it's the same with outside counsel and in-house counsel. How much feedback or guidance do you provide to outside counsel when they are in the process of building a team, for example, for a particular matter? Well, you know, again, it depends on what it is, but I will try to work with them if I can. I mean, I'm relying on outside counsel to, at the outset, have asked me enough questions to get an idea of the substantive areas that we need for a particular matter. And then as we go along, if I feel like there's there's something missing, we'll have a conversation. And one of the things I will do at the outset, especially of a large matter, is say to my outside counsel, come to one of my factories, see what it is we do, and that will help us figure out who else do we need on our team. Interesting. That's very interesting. Okay, so the next tip is build on your strengths. It is always important to be open to feedback, both positive and negative, and to continue to learn and grow through professional and life experiences. It is also just as critical to celebrate your strengths and to determine effective ways to leverage those talents as much as possible, rather than focusing on remedying your weaknesses. You cannot be everything to everybody, and at a certain point, trying to do so becomes counterproductive. So, David, what do you think about building on your strengths? Would love to hear about, you know, your own personal experiences with building on your strengths as well as in-house counsel working with outside counsel. Well, that's definitely something you have to do, um, and you have to pay attention to understand, well, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? Uh, You know, an example for me is when I transitioned from – private practice to in-house. I had been a personal injury trial attorney for 12 years. I really didn't know the business world. And when I transitioned, I had to learn the business world. What I, what I realized over my first few months in-house is 
I actually knew a lot more about it than I thought I did. It just required me looking at things from a different perspective. You know, I had worked on a lot of business-related matters as a personal injury attorney, and now I have a new context and I could examine them. And so over the years, as, I, as I'm learning, I kind of grew. And then when I uh, my first company went out of business and I was interviewing for a new job, I was talking to the CFO of a company during an interview and telling him what I do. And he said to me, wow, it sounds like you're outside your comfort zone a lot. And it clicked with me in that instant. And I said, yeah, I am outside my comfort zone a lot, but I've developed a comfort zone of being outside my comfort zone. Now, at that point, that was the first time I'd ever said that or thought of it. And since then, I have thought about that and I've realized that is a strength of mine. I'm a generalist. I deal with so many different substantive matters um, and, and business issues that even 30 years into my career, I'm doing things every week I've never done before, but I realize I have a strength in doing that. Um, if I can go on a little bit more, it reminds me also, when I graduated law school, I asked my father, who's also a lawyer, for advice on how to succeed in the practice of law. And I think one of the most important pieces of advice he gave me is, is he said, David, you have to learn to pat yourself on the back because nobody's going to do it for you. And what I took from that is, is that you need to pay attention, learn to read the clues in what people say to you, how they respond to you, how they act towards you and around you. Um, and that those are clues to how you're doing. This is emotional intelligence in practice, right? Is that's how you, you see where your strengths and weaknesses are. What are you doing right? What do people like? What do people not like? So an example, one of the presidents, uh, the, the president of one of our most successful operating companies, every time he comes to headquarters, he stops by my office and talks a little bit. And when he leaves, he said, he always thanks me for what I do for the company and how much he appreciates what I do for them. That's great. Yeah. So, you know, another thing that people can do in this regard is seek out a trusted advisor that you can bounce things off and they can help you incorporate feedback, especially mm -hmm. negative feedback, in a positive way to help you grow and improve your strengths. I think that you've raised a lot of really great points. I mean, one thing I think, well, just because of time, I would love to talk about all of them in greater detail. But one in particular I would say is I think it's a very delicate needle to thread in terms of being out, outside of your comfort zone, which I actually mentioned is one of my New Year's resolutions, and it has been one of my New Year's resolutions for a while, is always trying to be outside of my comfort zone to develop and to grow, but also to realize that it's a balancing act between continuing to learn and grow, but also being too scattered in your approach and trying to be all things to everybody, which I think ends up being pretty counterproductive. Well, and, and I agree. And this, again, is part of emotional intelligence. Um, the first the first part of, of EI is really understanding who you are, your self-awareness. Being a generalist, for example, is not for everybody. Being outside your comfort zone is not for everybody. Some people really are best suited to being a subject matter expert and gaining deep knowledge in a narrow area, being the best they can be in that area, and stick with that. And that's perfectly fine. And knowing that about yourself mm -hmm. is important because then you as an expert 
staying in your lane is going to lead to your greatest success and happiness. Right. Okay. Our next tip is be empathetic. Effective client service requires that you always put yourself in your client's shoes and think about how you would feel if you were facing the issues at hand, both from substantive and contextual standpoints. Often, it is not just a legal problem that needs to be addressed. There is also a business context within which the issue arose and which requires just as much attention and consideration. So, David, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, when I'm describing or even trying to define emotional intelligence for people who, uh, for whom it's a relatively new idea, I will often say emotional intelligence can be boiled down to the single word empathy. Put yourself in, in someone else's shoes. So empathy really is the, the essence of EI. When I talk about this, I always have to quote one of my favorite Bob Dylan lyrics from the song Positively Fourth Street, in which he says, I wish that for just one time you could stand inside my shoes, and for just that one moment I could be you. Yes, I wish that for just one time you could stand inside my shoes. You'd know what a drag it is to see you. Wow, that's pretty tough stuff. Well, you know, <laughs> Dylan was kind of the king of, of insult lyrics, but I think you get the gist of it. You know, try to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Get an idea of what they may be dealing with in the moment. Try to put yourself on their side of the table. I, I completely agree with you, and my my sense is that um, we'll focus on empathy in future episodes of Paradigm Shift because I think it's a conversation that there are many different aspects to it. But I think that if I had to sort of look from the vantage point as a professional who's been practicing law for almost 25 years and who actually had some work experience um, during school before that, um, I would say that this is probably one thing that most people or people more often than not trip up on at some point or another. Some people are much better at it than others. I think it's one of those things where you can work on it and improve. I think a lot of it is having just a state of awareness, um, especially in times where you're dealing with emotionally charged situations, uh, you have to really sort of stop in the moment and think, okay, how would I feel if I were in this other person's shoes? And I think that it's at times like that where it's the toughest to be empathetic, but I think it's at those times where it's most needed. Uh, I, I agree completely. And you know, we could talk about this all day and start delving into some of the technical details of EI. But if I can just give a quick example, sure. Um, this really does go to the first couple of of uh, components of EI, which, as we said, first it's self awareness, right, and then situational management. Like, okay, there's something going on inside my head. Like, you know, if my boss comes into my office and and you know, I had a flat tire on the way to work this morning, and I'm all angry and upset about it. Well, my boss doesn't really care about it. My client doesn't really care about that. So I've got to get that out of the way and then focus on on you, on my client, on my boss, like, what's your issue? And I really have to listen. And are you, you know, is there something behind the reason you're upset this morning? Did, did you have a flat tire on the way to work, mm -hmm. right? You never necessarily know what's going on in their world. So you need to take some time to try to figure it out as best as you can. Right. Absolutely. So the next tip is focus on the deliverable. 
It is always important to package your work product with care and to remember that reaching the right answer is often only half the battle. Figuring out the framework within which to deliver the advice can make all the difference in whether the client will deem your performance a success or a failure. Is your client looking for a bottom line, no frills answer, or do they need something more formal and elaborate? Who at the client is the ultimate audience for your advice, and what kind of relationship do they have with your client contact? Also, where do those individuals fit within the context of both the issue at hand and the organization as a whole? So David, what are your thoughts as in-house counsel with respect to the deliverable and what your outside counsel is expected to bring to you in any given matter? Well, again, understanding the deliverable is essential and it should be easy. Just ask, right? I'm going to keep coming back to, you got to ask the question, right? But so often lawyers don't do that. Or they ask, but there's still a disconnect. Yeah, there's still a disconnect. Me personally, and I think most in-house lawyers, we're not interested in a, in a 10-page formal memorandum. We want the bottom line answer, and if we want more, we'll ask for it. So, for example, if I'm looking at, at a bill and I see an associate charge me three hours to write a memo and I've never seen the memo, I'm not going to be happy about it, right? Right. And then especially if I say send me the memo and they don't want to send it to me. Right. So, you know, that's that's a failure. The flip side is you ask the question, so so what exactly are you looking for here? Sometimes your client doesn't know the answer to that either, mm-hmm. right? Maybe they don't have, they've, they've never encountered the situation. They don't know what they want or your client thinks they know what they want, but then you have a discussion. Right. And that leads to uh, a much broader and more thorough and in-depth analysis of the whole situation and you end up crafting a new deliverable that perhaps neither of you thought about, but ultimately you're both happier about the end product. Um, so that's, that, that's going to help with the immediate issue. It's going to help, that's going to help build the trust and, and strengthen the bond of the relationship to enhance the likelihood of long-term work. So everybody's going to be happy about it. So again, it comes back to just ask the question. So what do you want? What are you looking for here? Right. No, those are very, um, good points. Uh, of advice for everybody. The next tip is stay positive and be authentic. Clients can tell when you are being open, honest, authentic, and trustworthy, and they are much more likely to respond in a loyal way. If you are pretending to be someone you aren't and do not genuinely care and put your clients first, it's obvious and clients will respond accordingly. Being positive and upbeat is just as important. Showing that you love what you do will make you more attractive to both existing and potential clients. So, David, what do you think about those um, people that you work with, both outside counsel as well as people that you work with internally? For example, maybe your your internal clients. Um, the whole conversation about positivity and authenticity. Oh, I, I agree. Absolutely. When I'm looking for working with outside counsel, as well as with my business colleagues, I think being positive and authentic is essential. You know, the worst thing you can do with me is try to BS me or act as if you don't like what you're doing. Um, as I've heard you say before, you know, nobody likes to work with a Debbie Downer. That's true. Uh, I don't like to work with someone who pretends to know more than they do or who lies to me or who makes it clear they're just unhappy being a lawyer. 
Yeah. Well, and there's, unfortunately, I think as with many professions, there are a lot of folks who either love what they do or really don't like it at all. And both sets of folks cross our path. So I think it's, you know, figuring out who you want to work with and taking it from there. You know, years ago, I had a litigation matter and there were two opposing attorneys. One guy was sort of a subject matter expert. The other guy was a litigation expert. Mm -hmm. This was in an appellate court, so he was an an appellate expert especially. And I remember telling the subject matter expert how impressed I was with this guy's skills, the the litigation attorney skills. He was really, really good. And what the lawyer told me is this guy actually hated being a lawyer. He did it because he he actually had a special needs child and Mm -hmm. he needed to earn the money. And everything he did was to help his child. But you would never have known that. Really? You know, the other lawyer who told me that said he's worked with the guy for 20 years and they had become good friends and that's why I knew it. But he did not portray to the world that he hated being a lawyer. All you knew was this guy was really good and he seemed like he had the fire in him. So he portrayed himself as an excellent lawyer and he was successful as a result. And that's kind of stuck with me over the years. So I guess fake it till you make it. You know, that that's very true. Mm -hmm. And you know what? If, If you realize that you just can't fake it anymore, then do something else. Right. You know, I mean, this is kind of a little bit off topic, but it's still part of emotional intelligence. I grew up wanting to be a plaintiff's personal injury lawyer. I started on the defense side. I switched to the plaintiff's side a few years in. And a couple years into that, I realized I hated it. I couldn't fake it anymore. Mm-hmm. So I had to change. And that's when I went in-house and realized I absolutely loved it. Good. So, And I remember you know, <laughs> I was there. <laughs> you were there. <laughs> And, you know, and now I'm 30 years in and I'm a happy lawyer. Well, and that's good. Happy lawyers make happy people. And happy clients. Yes. The last tip that we're going to discuss is it's about more than being just a good lawyer. Client service excellence is about so much more than just great technical abilities. It is just as much about having and exhibiting emotional intelligence, which is priceless to clients. There is no other way to cultivate successful client relationships than to inspire trust. And the most effective way to do so is to build a meaningful foundation by exhibiting all of the EQ qualities that we just discussed and then some. As professional services expert David Meister so aptly stated, ultimately, hiring a lawyer is about confidence and trust. It is an emotional act. So David, what are your thoughts on this last tip? Well, I agree with David Meister, and I think you can use emotional intelligence to become a stronger and more sought-after lawyer. Be concerned about making others feel good about themselves. Be more concerned about that than about making them feel good about you. Be happy. Be upbeat. Be passionate about life and about being a lawyer. Expect the best of people and offer them the best of you. This is... I think some of the magic about how you build trust and confidence and it becomes a two way street. It ultimately helps your clients succeed and in turn it helps you succeed. I agree completely. And I think that one thing I've noticed that clients really appreciate is when you show this multidimensionality to who you are, not just in the context of being their lawyer, but also being a person and wearing a business hat as well And you exhibit that when you understand their business and understand that, again, as we mentioned earlier, that it's not just about getting the right answer, the legal answer, but it's also 
understanding what the um, in-house attorney is going through, inspiring trust, demonstrating that you really can put yourself in their shoes and um, that you're a real person who cares about them, not just professionally, but personally. Yeah, I agree. So David, do you have any final tips or thoughts that you would like to share with our listeners before we sign off? Sure. I would say that based on my experience, I think the emotional intelligence discussion is an important one. It's important to understand also that some people are born with emotional intelligence and some people aren't, but you can learn it. You know, those who are listening to your podcast and to this interview, you've already started learning about emotional intelligence with this discussion. I would also say go read Daniel Goleman's book and then start practicing. Pay attention to how people act and speak to you um, and act around you. Ask a close friend for feedback along the way, something I mentioned earlier. This is important because I really believe emotional intelligence is the essential ingredient to continued professional and business success in the 21st century. Very, very astute observations. I completely agree. I think Goldman's book is a great place to start. Um, it was pretty revolutionary when it came out in the mid-90s, and I'm really happy to see that since that first work that Daniel Goleman did with respect to EI that he's built on that. He's had other books where he discuss, he discusses various facets of EI and there have been many people who have taken that construct and have written about it and analyzed it. And I think there are a lot more resources out there today than there were even a couple of years ago when this conversation about emotional intelligence really started becoming front and center, particularly in the context of business and legal services. So thank you again, David, for joining us for these two episodes. It's been a lot of fun. And um, I think that you will probably be finding an invitation in your email box, or I may just tell you over dinner that I'm going to have you <laughs> back on the show again. So I look forward to the next time. Thank you. I, I would love to come back. So thank you all for joining us for this episode of Paradigm Shift. I hope that you have enjoyed our continued exploration about the intersection of emotional intelligence and client service. I am your host, Christina Martini. Please look for our weekly episodes every Tuesday. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every Tuesday.